Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello Manchester City fans, welcome to this episode of the Talking City podcast hosted by me, Sam Hutchison. Here today I'm joined by my guest Joe Bray, how are we Joe? Not too bad, thank you, I'm, just, I'm glad football's back. Yeah. The international break goes on too long. So today we're going to be talking about Brighton, obviously. We're going to be talking about the City news, some of the star players from that Brighton game and then we're going to preview young boys in the Champions League this week. But first, Brighton, what's your verdict on that game? Because it was not... Plain sailing for City, all things considered. Well, it looked like it would be, didn't it? The first half, City got off uh, to a good start. We were saying in the press box that we thought Brighton would have set up differently. The whole build-up was about Roberto De Zerbi and is he a successor to Pep and how City would have to change the style of play. I think Akanji said that they'd have to change the tactics and uh, just the way that Brighton play. Um, I mean, last season, City didn't face a tougher test, really, than Brighton, I don't think, over two games. I think, um, yes, they got four points, but Brighton really gave them a, a difficult time. So we were expecting a, a sort of a, a battle of two two sort of master tacticians, and it didn't really turn out like that. Um, Brighton had James Milner and uh, Solly March as the two full-backs, which I think they wanted a, an end-to-end uh, game, a sort of a basketball game with lots of chances and City just didn't let that happen really. They, uh, I mean Brighton started well in the first five or so minutes but as soon as Doku got on the ball realised that he was up against a 37-38 year old James Milner and was always going to beat him every time. Uh, that sort of set the tone and yeah Doku was brilliant, uh, Alvarez good again, Haaland back in the goals after uh, a goal drought of two games I think it was. Um, so yeah it was it was what City needed after back-to-back defeats and I think you had to go back to before Pep arrived for three defeats in a row in the Premier League and with the tough run of fixtures coming up, it was important that they got back to winning ways. So even though, yeah, it wasn't great in the second half, I think Brighton changed the tactics, they took Milner off, it was um, a bit more equal, they got the goal back. Even though it was a bit scrappy towards the end, I think City will just be delighted to get the three points, do what they have to do and put that little blip to one side and they can go forward now into the Champions League, to the Derby 
back to winning ways and uh, and it it means that those games that they lost it was a blip it wasn't something that can sort of snowball into anything more serious I mean you mentioned Haaland there he pretty much he needs one chance it was a great goal yeah let's be real and that's sort of what separates him from other strikers of the world especially in the Premier League he can just turn something like that where he's just battling with for the ball he just turns it into a snapshot from outside yeah. the box and it's a great goal and that's just what separates him really isn't it What's your verdict on the Akanji red card? Because looking at it, I didn't really think it was a second yellow. didn't really think it was worthy of that. What was your um, sort of verdict on it? I wasn't surprised. I think when you're on a booking and you, you pull someone back, um, you're probably at, at risk. I think the fact that City were holding on to an extent, Brighton had pulled a goal back, I think it was one of them that he just had to do. If, if he'd let the play go towards the edge of the box, everyone gets nervous, it's uh, more risk. If he just pulls him back near the centre circle, he takes the red card. Yes, he misses the derby, um, but it was it was telling to look at Guardiola's reaction afterwards. If you think back to the last home game against Nottingham Forest, Rodri stupidly gets himself sent off. Guardiola is as far away as possible, doesn't look at Rodri and then gives him a glare as he passes. And that, that showed how annoyed he was. As a kanji goes off, Nathan Ake is already coming on as a sub anyway um, and Guardiola gives him a high five and says, oh well. And I think it's one game, you had Ruben Diaz on the bench who can come back in, John Stones is back, I don't think it's the uh, the end of the world and uh, if it if it secured three points, it's it's one of them. You touched on it there. Is, would he have started in the derby for you if he hadn't have got this red card? Is he going to be a miss? Uh, I'm not sure. He um, he obviously started the last, last derby there because he was very uh, unhappy at the Bruno Fernandes, uh, Marcus Rashford goal. Um, I don't think he would have done no because Ruben Diaz, Ruben Diaz is a big game player and it was a shock that he didn't start in this game. Um, and now John Stones is back. The Stones-Diaz partnership feels like it's it's the one that, that will go forward. So maybe it's it's not as a not as big an issue as, as it may have been. Like when Rodri got sent off, we were saying he's going to miss Arsenal, he's going to miss three games in a row, who's going to replace him? There's going to be no no chat like that this time. You mentioned it there, that this has gone under the radar, that Pep's really heavily rotated mm-hmm. from before the international yeah. break to this game. You mentioned it there and you wrote about it after the game. Do we Did we expect that? Because it has gone really quiet about Pep's basically dropped both of his centre-halves and both of his centre-midfielders going into this game against Brighton. Yeah, well, he, he was saying before the game, wasn't he, that like the Arsenal game passed and we're, we're only looking forward and then he drops his keeper for different reasons and two centre-backs who started at Arsenal, both were placed at, uh, against Brighton. His two midfielders, OK, Rodri was always going to come back, but Mateo Komacic doesn't keep his place after what was uh, an interesting game, let's, let's say, at, at the Emirates. Um, and it was interesting hearing Pep after the game, he said he had more doubts about his selection for this game than, than a lot of other games. And he was saying, yes, Doku started and played well. Uh, he had Bernardo Silva next to Rodri in midfield. Foden was coming inside. But he said all three of those players could easily have been replaced. He, he name-checked Kovacic and Nunes as players who, uh, in the transitions, would have been perhaps better than the other two. He said he was expecting more of a sort of transition game, end-to-end, like, like I say. Um, and that didn't happen, so it's maybe probably good that it didn't happen. Maybe he thought, had some late doubts, I don't know, that the the game plan he was expecting 
didn't actually happen and, and it didn't in the end it was not the sort of uh, free-flowing game that, that we expected um, he also said Grealish could have played ahead of Doku if it, but those two are very contrasting players control versus sort of direct attack the fullback um, so yes he did drop the five players that, that the two midfielders two defenders keeper but I think each one of those had had a reason you got John Stones coming back and that was a he just changes the side completely I know I wrote about it saying it shows what Pep really thought of the Arsenal game I think it did to an extent because the defence were a little bit shaky they didn't help it was just a bit disjointed at Arsenal not as free-flowing as they would like um, so maybe it's just a wake-up call but he, they've always had that that dynamic in the squad where it's not a massive squad that sort of room has been or like that myth has been put to bed it's not a massive squad he's got a smaller amount of players who can play in different positions um, and I mean you see Bernardo's played both sides number 10 midfield he can play wherever to suit the game that Guardiola thinks it was just really interesting to hear Guardiola say that he doubted it and didn't get the game he expected because normally you hear him justify why he's made a selection and he normally gets, he usually it, spot gets on. it spot on yeah. doesn't he? but even when the game isn't as he expects he still makes it work and City sort of use that to their advantage on, on Saturday. You mentioned Arsenal there. Arsenal dropped points, which means now City are level at the top of the table on points with Arsenal. Spurs do play tonight. Is this sort of what we want to see from City, these ruthless results, even when not firing on all cylinders, Arsenal are going to drop points throughout the season? They're probably, would you agree, City's closest title challenges this season? I think it's really close at the top, isn't it? Liverpool look... Uh, more like the side that we're in the title races with City um, and they look like they can get better as well when certain players return. City look like they can get better. Tottenham are very good. Whether they've got another level, I don't know, but you can't rule them out at the moment. Arsenal showed against City that they can win these big games, but then not so good against Chelsea. Um, but I think it's going to be one of them seasons that I don't think anyone's going to really run away with it. And we look at City every single season around this time they're just figuring things out. They've had a lot of injuries. I mean, a lot of teams have had injuries, but they just, they've not got a settled team yet. And they're still managing to win most of the games. Uh, they're back to winning ways. They've got that sort of mentality now. Um, and I think the run coming up is going to be really interesting because after Brighton, they've got in the league, it's uh, not in this order, but I think they've got United, Liverpool, Chelsea, Spurs and Aston Villa who are doing very well in the, in the run of games. And the only one, not within that team within those teams is Bournemouth so you've got big game after big game Champions League games in the middle um, so it's going to be I think after that little run we'll see where City stand in relation to, to the other teams but facing Liverpool Tottenham um, and, and Arsenal in the last few games is going to sort of show where where they are but I mean Robert, Roberto De Zerbi came out and said we can't really compete in this competition at the moment because they've they've obviously got the European campaign now. They've had a few injuries. They picked up another couple that time. So Brighton were really good last season. You can tell that they coached really well and they they will beat a lot of teams, uh, but maybe they're not going to be sort of as as high up as they were last year. I mean, you mentioned it there that this run of fixtures. I'm just going to go through it now. Young boys away yeah. in the Champions League is always going to be a a trip that's going to cause its issues. We'll get yeah. onto that later. Then it's the derby. Then Bournemouth, let's like say, Young Boys again, then Chelsea at Liverpool, Leipzig at home, Tottenham and then Villa away up until the there 5th of are. December. Yeah. That's a tough, it's going to be non-stop and that is a tough run of fixtures yeah. for any side really, isn't it? 
I mean, especially that Villa Spurs game, just looking at it here, it looks like those games are two days apart. One day in one's the middle, in midweek, so one's on much, the 3rd yeah, of December yeah. and one's on the 5th of December, which I'm sure Pep will have something to say about in his press conference. But that brings part one to an end. In part two, we're going to discuss some of the star players from that Brighton win. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back to part two of the Talking City podcast. In this part, we're going to discuss some of those star men. Who was your man of the match from the weekend? I would say Phil Foden. Now, I know a lot of people love Jeremy Doku, and we can talk about Doku because he was brilliant. I just think Foden in this position is getting better and better. And it helps, obviously, it helps that Rodri's back. Rodri walks straight back into the side. Nobody in his absence stakes a claim to, to really replace him. Uh, so I think in other situations where players have got sent off stupidly, they might find it hard to walk back in the side. That's not the case with Rodri. And he just, he reminded everyone how uh, important he is, but he just keeps everything tidy in midfield. Then you've got John Stones showing up the defence a bit, pushing forward into midfield as well. And when you've got that protection behind you, Foden coming in from the right in that sort of inverted number 10 role, he can just focus on attacking. Now, he said himself, Guardiola said he's got to do more um, in terms of the sort of all-bound play, the position, all the tactic, the defensive side. And he can still do that. But when you have defensive players behind you, he's just allowed to, to link up with players. His link up with Alvarez is getting better and better. He's always looking for, for Haaland. Um, There's a few times where he had about three or four players in front of him. He wriggled through them and set Doku free. And that's what get everyone, gets everyone off the seats because Doku can take on his man. But it, the ball doesn't get there without Foden doing that and working in those spaces in midfield. And when you've got a player as clever as Bernardo Silva, there's a couple of times where Doku or Foden probably jotted out, uh, jogged out a position for whatever reason. Bernardo was there instantly to cover that, that area. So I think the sort of balance in midfield was better than it has been. Um, and I just I think Foden in those midfield areas is picking up the spaces and uh, getting better and better. And with, with uh, Stones, with Rodri back, I'm quite excited to see how well he can do in those positions. And he did it with England as well in, in the international break, linking up with Bellingham. And uh, I think his evolution into midfield, we can see that happening now. He's not a proper midfielder yet. He's not doing the whole job. He's not got the defensive sort of abilities as Bernardo or even Kevin De Bruyne. But if Guardiola's finding players who can account for that, it's quite exciting to see what he can do going forward from those middle positions. I mean, you mentioned him there, Kevin De Bruyne. Is Phil Foden helping to solve that sort of issue that was always going to be posed by one of the best midfielders in the world, if not the best midfielder in the world, being out for so long? Is Foden filling that gap? Not like for like, yeah. which I think is the, the that, That's the thing, you it. can't replace De Bruyne yeah. as, as a single player, but you can replace the qualities. So Pep said that Mateus Nunes has got that ability to drive into the box. And when we spoke to Nunes, he said, don't compare me to, to someone like De Bruyne because I, I might be good at that 
attribute but not the whole package because no one can do that i think that's the same with foden foden can uh, he's got that sort of link up with uh, with harland and he can play in those little spaces you've got uh, bernardo who can do sort of a bit more of the all-round game alvarez is playing behind harland and has been crucial for city in doing that and staying close to the striker which probably is the area that kevin de bruyne would play so i would say all the things that de bruyne gives to the team they are getting yeah but not from one single player. But yeah, Foden's sort of ability to drive forward and run forward is is helpful when you don't have De Bruyne uh, doing the same thing. And you mentioned driving and running forward. Jeremy Doku was probably my man on the match yeah. on the day. I just think he's so exciting. Yeah. He's a, such a like a traditional sort of winger. And I think it's something... It, is it a profile that City have been missing in recent years? Because off the top of my head, I can't think of someone... Like that, who's going to sprint at people and beat a man? I think Sane was your last, yeah, uh, your last player who was like that. You've had players like Sterling who can do that, but Sterling turned him more, more into a player who fit the system of the moving the ball side to side and waiting for the the opportunity to break break through the lines. Doku is a player who will get the ball and run at his his man. And I, I think when he saw Milner in that team sheet lining up at right back, he. It, it was an absolute mismatch and it went exactly as you would expect and uh, I mean Milner resorted to just bodying him a, a couple of times just to, to stop him getting past and I mean when Doku picks the ball up for that first goal he's about midway through the opposition half on the wing let, let's say five players that he, he has to get past to get into a position and he, he gets past Milner gets to the byline turns on the uh, the burners leaves uh, Pascal Gross for dead and his ball back to, to Alvarez is, is perfect. But in that position, there are not many City players who would even think about that and drive. If it was Grealish, who is a completely different player, he sort of keeps possession, attracts the defenders and then pops it off to another player to, to, to switch the play. Doku just gets his head down and I think it, it was a really good, not, it wasn't 90 minutes because he got substituted, but it was a really good game for Doku to see. You can see the raw potential when he beats a man he's so exciting but there were a couple of times where he makes the wrong decision and sometimes you think instead of just running just see the bigger picture and um, I think Guardiola is aware of that but the fact that he's playing so well so early and you know that he can get so much better when he starts making those right decisions every time he's going to be dangerous I think Guardiola said he's going to be a star for, for years to come at City and it's, it's hard to argue because there aren't many players I mean, you can put Haaland aside because he's a, a different person completely, but there aren't many players who sort of arrive and play so well and so exciting so early. Yeah, you mentioned his raw potential. We've been seeing that since sort of he burst on the scene. What major tournament was it? Was it the Euros or was it the World Cup where he was playing for Belgium? And he's... Yeah, probably the last, he's 21 now, so. And that was the first yeah. time he was really in the mainstream yeah. as this, oh, wow, he's really, really talented because obviously he's really wet, good with both feet and he's quite versatile on either side as well. Someone else who started maybe unexpectedly this time, Ortega. Why did Ortega start over Edison? Um, Guardiola was quite interesting on this afterwards. He said it was generally fitness and just conditioning of, of Edison who'd spent the international break um, in South America and in Brazil. Now Julian Alvarez had played in South America with Argentina and he started and looked fine um, so when it was put to Guardiola why did Alvarez start and, uh, and and Edison didn't Guardiola just said well he's younger and that is true to an extent um, he also said that Argentina won a couple of games and um, 
and Alvarez didn't play the entire 90 minutes in both and Brazil had a couple of disappointing results lost against Uruguay I think um, and he said basically it was just lost against Uruguay and drew to Venezuela so not a positive so it, it's good for Edison that he's finally got to be number one for Brazil because for a while he was second to Alisson uh, and um, it must be hard having those two keepers to keep happy and he's finally got that number one spot but maybe the toll of travelling and uh, a couple of dis- disappointing results it sounds like it was just he wasn't 100% to start and when you've got someone like Ortega who is not the same as Edison but is a very good goalkeeper um, it's it's easy to put him in I don't think he was amazing Ortega he made the stops when he had to, not the best at his feet, but you're not going to be as good as Edison. Um, and Brighton were pressing quite high. Um, and I know Ortega came out after the game and said he felt he deserved to start and wants to be starting more. So maybe that's uh, a good problem for Guardiola to have that he's got two goalkeepers pushing to start because he's probably never really had a proper number two to push Edison as much as he would like. But um, if, it, if Edison isn't 100%, then Ortega's a perfectly good uh, yeah. yeah, and someone who's not starting or not really playing, Calvin Phillips. We discussed it. Me and Simon discussed it last podcast. Where's a realistic destination for Phillips? What's the sort of what's his sort of issues at the minute with not playing in this city side? He said a lot about it on international duty. I just want to put this question to you as well. What do we think the future holds for Calvin Phillips? Because like you say, he's not starting, he's getting replaced straight away by Rodri. As soon as Rodri's back eligible yeah. to start, he's getting replaced again. Where where does Calvin Phillips go from this? Well, the, those three games were the perfect opportunity to stake his claim. It probably didn't help Phillips that Arsenal were the third game because it's not really his game. It's If you've not played a lot, it's a really big game to come into. Um, and Guardiola went for, for Kovacic and, and Bernardo instead and even picked Rico Lewis in midfield um, ahead of Phillips. So those were the games where he wanted to stake his claim. I've said before, I don't think he was that bad against Newcastle in the only game he started, but he he still plays everything safe. He still does what he has to do to not make a mistake, I think. And he's it's not yet clicked for him for whatever reason that things just come naturally and sometimes you do have to play the risky pass and make a mistake. But... Um, he started that week saying he wants to fight for his place. He never wanted to leave. He didn't want to be a, per- a player who came in for one season and uh, and left because it was a bit tricky. Now, after playing for England, and again, I thought he did okay for England, he's come out and said he might have to make decisions because having that qualification for Euro 2024 probably puts some things into perspective. He's been told by Southgate he will have a place in that side, in that squad, if he's playing regularly. He's just not going to be playing regularly at City. They're out of the Carabao Cup. He might get a couple in the Champions League if they qualify a game or two early, but it's it's bits here and there, and he's a player who needs a run of games, and he's just never never going to get that in this side. Um, if he was to leave, and Newcastle have been mentioned, haven't they? I don't know if there's any they might be truth in that. Midfielder. They might need a midfielder. I think that's where the, yeah. the talk has come from. They might need a midfielder, and he might be available. Um, I think that would be a good move for him, or someone of that ilk who are playing... Um, potentially in Europe after after January, they'll be slightly higher than mid higher than mid table, challenging for FA Cup, potentially still in the Carabao Cup. Um, that would be a a sort of a way for City to see this guy can play on the big stage. Um, whether he would come back, because no no player has successfully left City on loan and come back. There's not really a, 
another example of a player like Phillips, who's meant to be a first-team player going away to get some experience and coming back. Um, so it, it would be massively difficult. But Guardiola didn't seem too too convinced. He was he said, well, he's our player until the winter, but who knows what will happen in the winter. Um, he's going to say that. He's going to back his player. And if if City need him, they need him to be to feel wanted. Um, but it was interesting that Guardiola said he's perfect for games where there's chaos. And Guardiola is not a manager who likes chaos. Um, but you could argue the Brighton game had a bit of chaos in it in the second half. So why is he not brought, brought Phillips on? Instead, he brings on Grealish for a bit of a bit of control and, and they win the game that way. So, yeah. Maybe, maybe it's just that. Maybe he says he, he's perfect for a bit of chaos, but yeah. Guardiola is avoiding chaos at all costs. Exactly. And that probably sums up Phillips's conundrum because I just don't think he's... And from what we've seen this season... He's just not ready or adapted to, to the City style. Um, there's no denying he's a great player. Um, and I'm sure he's ambitious and wants to test himself at, at the top level. But you just, especially after the last week, you just can't see where his route back is. And do you think that comes down to sort of the difference in roles that he has to play between playing for England? Like you say, I second what you just said about he was quite yeah. good in the international break for his national side. The difference in roles between what he plays for England and what he plays for City. He is a very, he's a much more calming presence in the midfield for England than I think he has ever been really for City. I think City want him to come in and play that Rodri role, which, I mean, arguably Rodri's up there as the best defensive yeah. midfielder in the world. You, you're not gonna get a second Rodri just coming off the bench. Do you think that's? It's maybe the demands more than him not being. It's, it's the demands of him that he's not able to do in this City role but he's still a fantastic defensive midfielder like we saw for England I think it's it, it is tactics as well because for Leeds he was sort of the sole holding midfielder but the system was built around him and the the Bielsa system was was suited for him but City don't play the same as Leeds did under Bielsa and there are similarities but there are, are also differences his position is the only holding midfielder and Rodri is the only holding midfielder and he's not going to displace Rodri and he's shown that he can't do that and Guardiola won't pick him to do that. Um, and he will pick players like Kovacic or Nunes or Bernardo even instead. Um, for England, he, I think he's good because he has Declan Rice next to him and those two work really well together. But City don't often play that sort of... Double pivot sort of. Double pivot. Increasingly this season with Alvarez as sort of the number 10, but you would prefer someone like Bernardo so he's always in a position at City where someone is better than him. Yeah. Um, and in the big games, he's just not going to play. For, for England, Southgate has made it clear that after Declan Rice, there is no other sort of midfielder who is good as that holding role. Um, I think that is a reflection on the, the sort of pool of English midfielders at the moment. But he's clearly above Jordan Henderson, but below, Phillip, uh, below Declan Rice. So if... Southgate wants to play a double pivot, Phillips is in. If he doesn't and wants to play someone further up, Phillips is out. That's a, a good position for him to be in for the national side. But with so many better players who aren't English for City, then he's just not going to play. So, yeah, maybe. I think a move away would make sense for him. But I also think it would mean that his City career would, would be over at the same time. I mean, that's going to be key for Southgate coming into this Euros, is finding that midfield balance yeah. perfect because Bellingham's clearly best as a number 10 but do you drop Bellingham into a little bit deeper role to try and fit in a number 10 that's what Southgate's got to 
figure out and I'm glad I don't have to do that <laughs> job. Phillips, does he leave City short if he does leave in January? Like, would City then have to find a defensive midfield replacement? Because City don't often like to replace players immediately. They like to have them yeah, already yeah. replaced. Does he leave City short in that defensive midfield role? Because, say, Rodri gets another red yeah. card or an injury. I mean, possibly. A... They've managed without Phillips effectively for the last season because he's been injured or not playing. Um, De Bruyne will be back in, in the new year, potentially before, if, he's, if his recovery goes well. So that's another midfielder that you can have. And maybe Bernardo will be asked to do a bit more defensive work. Nunes and Kovacic are going to be improving uh, every week when just by training under under Guardiola. So they do have options. Rico Lewis is an option. John Stones is back now. He could easily play on his own in that, that Rodri role um, because he just knows the, knows the system. So um, I think, again, it just sums up all those options we've named are probably ahead of Phillips if Rodri isn't playing. Um, and it was... Yes, Phillips played in the Carabao Cup, but he probably would have done anyway. As soon as it comes to the league game against Wolves, Kovacic is in, Nunes is in, and Phillips is back on the bench. So, um, you know, it could still work out. Grealish made it work. Cancelo looked like he was going to leave six months into into his career and, and then turned out to be a sort of transformed City's tactics for, for a time. So it could happen, but just the, the way it's gone since Rodri's suspension... Lend you, lend you to think no and the fact that he's changed his tune by saying going from I don't want to leave I want to fight for my place to actually maybe I might have to leave maybe he's sort of realised that as well and City have been linked to a, mid, a different midfielder a completely different profile of midfielder this might be springing it on you a little bit Jamal Musiala from Bayern Munich has been linked recently in a lot of the papers do we think he sort of fits into this City side or do we think this is just paper talk like I say I mean I, I can't tell you if it's if there's any truth in it or not it sounds like paper talk but he's a fantastic player he's got sort of roots in the English game as well as as the German team he, he if City are after a midfielder they're going to be looking at players like him and you could see him slotting into that midfield I mean De Bruyne isn't getting any younger you, you need sort of a another player like that may, maybe but Bayern Munich are also not going to want to sell one of their best players who's a mainstay in the German team so um, I think like they wanted Bellingham in the summer Musiala's probably a similar similar player of similar of that, mold yeah player. similar mould so they're always looking for the best players so it would be a surprise if he wasn't on their radar but it's easier said than done yeah and Pep does love to do his shopping in Germany and he loves know. a midfielder he does love a midfielder as well that brings part two to an end in part three we're going to preview this midweek clash against young boys Welcome back to part three of the Talking City podcast. Today, this is going to be a young boys preview. We can't lie about it. We're not experts on Swiss football, no. but we've <laughs> done a little bit of research to try and bring a little bit of knowledge to this podcast about young boys. Simon would usually be here. He is traveling to the game. This is one of, on paper, this is one of the easier ties in the Champions League. What can we expect from this sort of game? Where do we, what do we want to see from City? I think Guardiola said it the other day, they want to win these two games back-to-back -back against young boys, first away, second at home. 
because then they'll have 12 points and uh, I don't know if they can qualify but they will be very close to qualifying and Guardiola likes to do that early um, and then the runner fixtures we talked about in the Premier League it'll just mean that the Leipzig home game they don't have to put a stronger team out in among those other um, tricky ones in the Premier League and the, the final game against Red Star you're not travelling to Serbia in the final game needing to win they've got a couple of away games in December then they're at the Club World Cup and that's one way you want to travel to with nothing riding on it. Um, so, yes, City should win uh, against Young Boys, are the weakest team in the group on paper. But it's not going to be easy. The pitch is going to be um, a bit difficult. They only need to ask Man United how difficult it'll be to to win there. And I think these are the games where City are champions of Europe. They go into these small clubs who have nothing to lose and it is the scalp. They're used to being... Uh, that big side who everyone wants to beat but um, Guardiola won't take it lightly he never does um, and I can see I can see a few changes ahead of the derby um, but I can also see him going quite strong because it's worth playing a few players who you want to play in the derby to get closer to qualification to then help yourself out in the longer run so I don't think he'll make wholesale changes I think he'll make a few but I think he'll still go strong I don't think we'll see Haaland rested for example You mentioned concerns about the pitch there Simon's out there and yeah. written a piece that's going out as we're recording yeah. this. When you're listening to this, it will be out already. What are these concerns about the pitch over at the Wankdorf Stadium? Yeah. Um, it's just that it's an artificial service. So um, obviously that raises concerns. Probably not ideal ahead of the derby. Um, and normally City have tended to train at the City Football Academy, fly out and do the press conference on the day before a game. This time, they're, as they're entitled to, they're entitled to train where they want because UEFA aren't too strict on on that as long as they do the pre-match stuff at the stadium uh, before the game. This time, they're doing the pre-match press conference and the training session there just to get used to the pitch, um, which is sensible, I think. Against Leipzig, we, were, we arrived in Leipzig and were told City aren't flying because the weather's bad and they'll be doing the press conference remotely. So things do change. Um, I think just a combination of things they'll, they'll be doing it all over there and that, that makes sense um, just to just to get used to it. I mean, they played on, on some pretty poor pitches in, in pre-season as well, so they'll be used to, they'll know what they have to do, um, but maybe that'll impact the team selection as well. Do If you've got someone with a, a niggle or two, do you want them on, a, on an artificial surface? So, team selection. Sergio Gomez, do we think we can see him starting at that left-back role? Is that a um, I would say probably not. I don't think the changes will be Gomez-level changes, let's say. I, th I can see, for example, Grealish coming back. He's not played um, as much as he would like this season. I was looking at his stats and he started two games in the Premier League, I think less than half an hour in the last four games off the bench. Um, wasn't used against Arsenal. He is, he's gone from being undroppable in the treble-winning season, starting finals, Champions League finals, and now... His place is under serious threat from from Doku and Guardiola said we've we've had some chats with Jack to to work out what 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 he needs to do, but also he said that Doku can't really play back-to-back uh, -back games three games in a week yet. So I would imagine Grealish would come back in, give him a chance on on the left. Um, it's not as exciting as Doku, obviously, but Grealish gives you that control and if you've got a a game away from home in Europe, Grealish is probably a good one just to just to keep the ball 
not give the home side, the home fans anything um, to do. And I thought he played well in Leipzig doing exactly that role. Um, maybe Nunes and Kovacic will, will come back in. Uh, maybe Kanji will play, given that he won't be playing at the weekend. Um, Rico Lewis, perhaps, if, if Guardiola wants to do to do that. You've got you know plenty of options. And I think Gomez is the type of player, Phillips as well, maybe, um, who can come off the bench if City are two or three up. And uh, maybe that can be the way to, to get those players in. But no, I, I can see him going strong, trying to win the game and then using the last half hour or so to make changes and decide who he wants to play in the derby. Do you think, do you think we'll see back-to-back starts for Ortega, maybe? Because this is the sort of game that he would usually be in contention for, obviously started at the weekend. I don't think he would. I think it, it would normally be Edison because it's still a game that City have to win to, to qualify. I think when City have qualified, Ortega will be starting. Um, but it just depends the the condition of Edison. If he's, if he's come back from the international break, not 100%. Maybe, I don't know, maybe something else is, is uh, going on that he's still not 100%, but um, I, would, I would guess if, if Edison is fit and available, he'll start. And like I said earlier, we've done a little bit of research to try and bring a bit of knowledge to this podcast. You've done some research. I've done some research. <laughs> Young boys currently sit second in the Swiss League with a game in hand, so they'll probably be top after that game in hand. They do have a striker who I am going to compare to the Swiss League's equivalent of Erling Haaland. Go on. His name is Unsame, I believe, Jean-Pierre Unsame. And his his career record is really impressive as a centre-forward. He's played 234 games and scored 147 goals with 41 assists. Most of that is in the Swiss League, so it has to be taken with a pinch of salt. But he is always going to be a danger. Do you think there are any weaknesses in the City side that young boys could go and exploit, maybe, or look to exploit at the very least? this midweek game. There's always weaknesses. If Kyle Walker's pushing up the space on that side, um, depending on what um, what formation they, they have, I think the one thing that, while Jeremy Doku does bring a lot of excitement, if he plays, then there's not as much support as Grealish will give for his full-back. So, I mean, Gvardiol's been quietly impressive at, at left-back, but if you put a couple of men on him, then maybe he's, he's beatable as well. Um, it'll depend on, on the system uh, and who plays and... How you how you exploit that weakness is generally in the air. City can be beaten, but also they've not conceded a header for I don't I can't remember how how long the it's yeah it'll depend on the on the game and uh, the fact that City are conceding ga- goals and not killing them off um, killing games off completely and have obviously lost three of the last five. There are weaknesses, of course there are, um, and if young boys are lucky and adventurous and brave they might have a an opportunity i mean look at leipzig they got a goal by just playing one simple ball through the middle and uh, the city defense was was cut wide open so um if you've got a striker capable of scoring goals they'll uh, they've got a chance if you want a bit more football reach our having a new Women's Football News monthly print magazine which comes out on Thursday if you want to check that out But thank you, Joe, for your time today. Not a problem. Enjoyed it. And City fans, enjoy the Young Boys game. We will speak to you on Friday. See you next time. Whether it's the legendary Lionesses, grassroots or expert analysis of the women's leagues, Women's Football News has it all covered. A brand new monthly magazine packed with news, interviews and expert opinion. 
Don't miss Women's Football News. Pick up a copy today from participating retailers. Women's Football is here to stay, and so are we.